everyone, welcome to another episode of B1 Bytes. I'm Li Xu, and today we have the pleasure to have Izu from CISO. And for those who don't know, CISO is a startup that focuses on restoring nature through its management platform. They provide tools to start, track, market, and manage natural asset portfolios. So Izu, tell us about yourself and your role in the climate tech startup. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on here, Li Xu. Um, in terms of myself, so my name is Izu and I work as a product manager at Cecil. Um, basically what that means is that I help to prioritize what features we're going to build next and also help to drive sort of our retention metrics as well. And then outside of work, I'm someone who is, I guess, just all throughout life, I'm someone who is very passionate about solving the climate crisis and also passionate about raising Asian Australian representation. And so um, um, every month I run like a climate letter writing group where we basically write to politicians and organizations to do more about climate change. And then I also um, like to get involved with theatre as someone who studied theatre at uni. So currently I'm assistant directing a Welsh comedy um, at an independent theatre. And then I'm also co-writing a play as well. Wow, that's really exciting. So before we dive into the more interesting part of your life, let's talk about why you decided to join in the tech startup or be involved in the climate tech startup to be specific. Yeah, sure. I think last year I was still in my final year at university at UNSW. And I was really sort of having almost like an existential crisis in terms of thinking about how I want to spend my time after university, where um, working life will take up most hours of your day or weeks. Um, and so I kind of really knuckled down the sort of top two things that really mattered to me or sort of made me the most angry or made me the most sort of like fired something up in my belly I guess and I think the climate change climate change was sort of one of the top ones um, whereby I guess since high school I've sort of been tinkering about it I remember um, I wrote a speech on greenwashing and back in high school I was like the public speaking debating nerd and so um, my school would enter me in some competitions and I remembered like I got into one of the rounds of a public speaking competition and I was talking about greenwashing which is basically how like businesses sort of try to be eco-friendly but it's really just sort of like a marketing gimmick rather than actually making any tangible change and a local paper actually gave me like a quick three sentence article on me called gift of gab gives easy extra edge um very interesting alliteration there i'm um, just talking about uh, my speech as well so i guess yeah since the early days i've sort of been tinkering with how I could do something about climate change, but it's really been only in, I would say the past two-ish years where I've sort of been more seriously considering it as I, as a career. Um, and so last year I got involved with a nonprofit called Climate for Change, which is based in Melbourne. And they basically helped to build that advocacy to build that social movement for people to um, be able to enable those systemic changes when it comes to taking climate action. And so I decided to volunteer with them. And then I guess end of last year, I came across the role at Cecil. Um, and then I decided to apply for the role. And I guess that's sort of where I am today. Could you elaborate on what climate tech is since it's such a broad concept? What is in the umbrella of the climate tech? Yeah, for sure. So I think my understanding is that climate tech is sort of any tech company that helps to tackle the climate crisis, whether it's trying to um, 
I guess, help us to adapt to a changing climate or helping us to mitigate the, uh, I guess, causes that drive climate change. And there's sort of different um, industries that sort of fall within that umbrella of climate tech. So there's energy tech, whereby you could think about how there's the energy transition towards renewables and away from fossil fuels. So there's companies that might work in solar, for example, that help to power that. Um, another branch within climate tech could be um, nature-based solutions. So this is sort of what I work in, whereby we see nature as a key driver of helping to tackle the climate crisis because we think of nature as a huge land sink that absorbs carbon from the air and also brings a lot of benefits beyond just carbon emissions, such as adding more biodiversity aspects that help to really revitalize and restore our natural ecosystems. And then another one could be um, the like circular economy, for example. Um, so trying to think about how we can design products so that they don't just have like a single use life that end up in landfill. And then I guess tangential to that would be um, any sort of company that tackles the waste issue, whether it's food waste, industrial waste, so on and so forth. So I guess there's just so many different things that fall within that umbrella of climate tech. And I guess it's just trying to think about like which ones make you most excited or like yeah which ones interest you more and also transport as well I think yeah that's also another big one so thinking about how we could yeah design transport systems that are for building a like a more beautiful sustainable world oh that was really thorough thank you for that um and coming from an arts background which you just mentioned what have you done to prepare yourself in this uncharted territory yeah arts background so I guess I studied commerce and arts um, but I guess working in tech, it's like, <laughs> I can't really say anything I've learned at uni has directly, have directly funneled into my job, to be honest. So it's more like, um, yeah, has helped me to build that building blocks of my job, but in a very indirect way. So in terms of commerce, I studied, I majored in economics and then in my arts degree, I majored in global development, which is looking at sort of like the developing world and the developed world. And then also I minored in theater. Um, and so I think in terms of economics, like it, my degree was very maths heavy almost. Like I did a lot of differentiation to look at what the optimal point is for curves. I looked at marginal cost, marginal revenue. <laughs> Um, as a product manager, I never have to think about that really. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered the question properly because the answer is I don't think it really has mm. affected my current job. Yeah. Since you didn't really learn much from your major, how did you prepare yourself in this new environment? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so I think for that, I just sort of put got my foot in the door through doing an entrepreneurship two-week holiday program at uni. Um, so this was run by UNSW founders, and I assume at Melbourne Uni, it's probably like some equivalent entrepreneurship club or organization within the uni. And it was meant to, I guess, funnel more uh, female talent into entrepreneurship. And so I kind of just did this during the uni holidays, and that involved founding your own startup and like in small teams. And so I did this in my second year of uni and it was 
such a great learning experience, a really great learning experience that taught me a lot about myself and also more about the startup industry. So I was able to found a startup called Chicken Soup, which is basically an edutech learning platform to help um, international students who have English as a second language to sort of get on-demand academic help um, from local students. And I think just from founding that founding that startup, I learned so much about what it takes to really get an idea from your head to something that you could test really quickly. I learned what it takes to, I guess, develop a prototype and to get feedback from potential customers. So my co-founders and I would literally just go out into the quad um, during our break times and just ask people for a couple minutes of their time just to run some quick surveys. And we also ran it in multiple languages as well, just given the nature of our startup. And so, yeah, it was just such a great learning experience in terms of teaching me that independence, that autonomy and that drive on what it takes to get a passion project off the ground. And I think from that experience, I kind of, um, it allowed me to apply for some tech and startup jobs out of that. And so my first sort of office job was at Woolies X. And for those who are listening, who don't know what Woolies X is, it's basically uh, the tech and startup arm of Woolworths Group. So they create things like Scan and Go there, um, the rewards app, the Woolworths website, it's uh, just other e-commerce aspects are all powered through Woolies X. Um, and I remembered after I got hired, my boss told me that she hired me because she really admired what I did in terms of founding my startup. And it showed that I was very proactive and took a lot of initiative. So even though I didn't really have any like prior office experience previous to that job, like that was sort of what got my foot in the door because before then I was literally working at event cinemas and also just as like a tutor and as like a study skills presenter in high school. So nothing directly relevant to startup or tech ecosystem. But after getting Woolies X, I um, was a, I worked there for one and a half years and then um, it kind of just, yeah, spiraled on from there. I was able to intern at Amazon Web Services, um, at a fintech startup, and then also at a uh, a venture fund as well so yeah this is a question for myself I'm just really curious usually when it comes to passion projects you are your own boss and it's mainly driven by your own motivation and excitement at the beginning but at the same time you don't have the commitment um, or responsibility for someone else's likelihood like paying for their salary mm. so mm. what kept you going and how did you hold yourself accountable in executing when the stakes are lower oh that's a great question um yeah, that's a really great question. I think having some form of accountability really helps. So for me, I had two other co-founders. And so because we committed to like regular meetings and stuff like that, we sort of helped to keep each other accountable. Um, but yeah, I think we ended up running the startup for two years before we ended up just sort of closing shop because we tried to launch in 2020 and then the pandemic happened. And so it was just very difficult to reach international students and stuff. And so we were, just, yeah, just decided to end our project as well. But in terms of helping to keep something going, just from learning from other projects as well. So right now I'm writing a play, um, but even though I'm the main writer, I have two other friends who I meet up with regularly and they sort of help me to, I guess, carve out the plot, uh, think about character ideas, plot ideas. Um, and so they're also involved in the project. So one of them is going to be the sound designer and he's a music, he studies music composition at Sydney Uni. 
Um, and then the other friend is he studies theatre and performance at UCID. And so I think just getting people who are also really invested in the project, who also want to commit to, I guess, realising this vision definitely helps. And because of that, you'll be able to, yeah, hold yourself accountable. Seems like you have done a lot as a uni student. Our listener who are uni students as well, just like them, I can feel at loss at times. I wouldn't know what to do after so my question is, how did you manage uh, to navigate that stage in your life and stay positive throughout the whole journey? Mm, feeling lost. That's interesting. Do you, When you say feeling lost, is that from like a career standpoint or? Yeah, it's more so about what to do after uni. Yeah, I think this is yeah quite a big question in terms of trying to figure out what you want to do. I remember at the start of uni, I thought maybe I might want to do something like marketing and that's why I chose commerce and arts because I was like oh it's businessy but also like I can still use the creative side of my brain um and then very quickly I learned that probably marketing wasn't really my jam um and then I was like oh maybe I should join the UN or something like that um like any you know idealistic arts kid who wants to save the world or whatever um and then in first year uni I realized that the UN was a bit dodgy sometimes <laughs> um and so I was like damn like what am I gonna do and so I didn't I sort of like didn't think about my career until maybe the end of second year so up until that point I was just like I said working at event cinemas and like just doing other random society extracurriculars and then only end of second year was when I was like damn I should I should get an office job something on my resume and that's how I got Woolies X and mm-hmm. so I think just be curious in terms of wanting to yeah be curious like ask yourself what are the sort of things that you like and equally as important is what are the sort of things that you don't like so I think if you don't know what you want to do I think just get started just apply for a bunch of jobs maybe it's related to your degree or maybe if you don't like your degree then maybe apply for other random jobs that aren't related to your degree and then just try to see what sort of um with each job that you do, like try to see what you like about that job and what you don't like about that job. Um, So for example, you might realize that, hey, I actually really like a role that is quite collaborative. Or you might realize actually I'm someone who likes to work quite independently. So I kind of want a job where I don't have to have a lot of stakeholder management very much. Um, So I think from working at Woolies Eggs, I was able to realize that I liked working collaboratively. Um, It sort of gives me energy from speaking to my coworkers and just like working with people. And then after that role sort of wrapped up, I interned at Amazon Web Services. And I think that role kind of taught me that I like to be quite independent in terms of owning a project, like autonomous in terms of deciding what I want to do about Uh, in terms of how I want to drive a particular project and I'm not someone who likes to be handheld a lot whereas I know for some friends they sort of prefer having a bit more um, handholding in terms of their job environment so just trying to learn things about yourself um, as you sort of apply for all these different internships and I think the really great thing about being a uni student is that you can work in a job for like three months and then just change easily whereas when you're out of uni it's like you can't change jobs every three months it's like a lot harder because people want like those full-time permanent positions um whereas at a uni as a uni student yeah just see if you could um apply for short internships that might be three months and then from 
applying to those, then you'd be able to learn things about yourself very quickly. And that would help you to better decide what you like and what you don't like. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. It does. Okay. Great, great, a great. lot about figuring out what you like by purely just doing. Yeah. Stop thinking and start doing. And start doing. Yeah, a lot of uni students should take note of that. And going back to your work again, your line of work, Cecile, what have you learned so far by being part of Cecile and how is it like doing it full time? Yeah. Okay. So your first question, what have I learned so far at Cecil? Um, so I've been in my role for seven-ish months now um, and I've learned so many things. I think a lot more than I expected, to be honest, which is always good. Um, for me, because I, I'm a product manager and before this role, I probably only had one product role at the fintech startup. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a lot to learn in terms of actually just what I do within my role. Um, so, uh, let me think, I'll try to think of a few things. So number one is I learned how to just be quite, um, autonomous in owning and driving a project because I guess just to give more context on Cecil we have around 10 to 12-ish employees so we're quite small and so that means that you have to wear a lot of hats um, rather than it being like a traditional sort of grad role where there's a fixed grad program and you, you kind of know where you sit in the hierarchy of like a corporate business um, whereas here it's very quite a, a lot flatter in terms of the hierarchy um, so because of that, when I come up with an idea, I have to like justify it and I would have to, um, I'd be given the autonomy to really realize that particular idea instead of it getting caught up in a lot of bureaucratic like checks and balances. So I really liked being able to just execute on ideas quite quickly. Um, so yeah, number one is just being able to own and drive a project and see it end to end. Um, number two, I guess, is just being able to understand more about product operations. So thinking about how does something go from an idea to being released um, in the platform? Like, So I got a deeper understanding of how software works, essentially, or how to create um, a web application where you kind of see it from the entire design cycle process, from the customer inputs. So we would speak to our customers on a regular basis as a B2B sort of company. Um, and then we would get like, you know, feature requests and ideas from them. And we would dig deeper into understanding why they want this particular feature. Um, and then we will work with our designer where we basically have these like six week design cycles. Um, and what that means is that there will be processes of prototyping that design. So we um, would mock it up in Figma, um, maybe test it with a few customers, um, collaborate with the engineers and the other product manager on it, as well as our founders. Um, and then once we are happy with that, then we would essentially turn that into engineering tickets. So that's what myself and my coworker, who's the other product manager would do. We would type out these tickets uh, to the engineers that might say, um, build this particular button so that the user is able to create a CSV export of their project list or something like that. And then once that happens, we would manage the release of that. So the engineers would code it up. It would go into the staging environment, which is basically like the test application. 
And then the product managers, so myself and my coworker would essentially try to uh, test it. And then once it's free of bugs, then we would say that this is ready for release. And then that gets deployed into the production environment, um, which is what the customers see. And then I would also have to manage the process after that, which is about launching the communications to make sure that customers know that this feature is live um, so that they're able to use it. So yeah, so the second thing I learned was basically the product operations. And then the third thing I learned is probably just like more about the climate sort of space or more about the nature-based solutions sort of area. Um, just learning about how the carbon emissions e trading ecosystem kind of works. So at the, at the end of the day, our customers are like these project developers who are basically creating all these regeneration projects to help um, absorb carbon emissions from the air and create, turn those into carbon credits that can be traded in the marketplace. And so I think just learning more about like who are the key players involved, um, who are the end customers involved, and also what are the regulation, like those processes has, yeah, I guess really opened my eyes into a niche but growing um, industry. Have you ever considered working in a corporation or it has always been startup for you? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is I definitely have considered working in corporate. Um, so in terms of my work experience, I've never worked at a place where I had to wear like a suit or anything. <laughs> it's always just been t-shirt and jeans. Um, and so I think during uni, I was very involved with like the consulting clubs. And because of that, I just had a lot of like friends in those like commerce sort of consulting circles. And we would do like consulting competitions together and stuff like that. And so I did um, apply for a lot of consulting firms and I did get a few offers. Um, but I think I decided to, I guess, try the startup world first because I felt like it was something where it was in a problem space that really excited me. So in terms of, yeah, driving for those nature-based solutions and tackling the climate crisis, that was something that I felt like uh, really spoke to my values. Um, but I'm not fully closed off to going into the corporate world later on, whether it's in consulting or something else. Um, but yeah, I think just right now I'm like, oh, I feel like this is something that really aligns with what I want to do. Um, but yeah, I think corporate also plays a big role in terms of um, tackling the climate crisis as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's something that I'm not fully closed off to. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I think now we can move on to a more fun, exciting part of your life, which you mentioned you are also part of this Asian Australian community to help um the minority. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. And um yeah, all, all parts of my life are exciting-ish. <laughs> so I still love my job. <laughs> um so I guess in terms of the Asian Australian community, um, basically how that, basically what that is, is that we run regular events to help connect Asian Australians to topics on culture and identity. Um, and we kind of just bring people together to sort of carve out that safe space to discuss um, topics like that. And so previous events we've held have been um, you know, unconventional Asian careers and the speakers we had sort of talked about like, I guess, what it's like to carve out a career where you kind of have to balance familial expectations. And I think there's just a lot of like cultural nuance that's sort of attached to that where um, I guess, uh, speaking from my experience as the child of like immigrant parents, it's like, there's a lot of craving for stability and security. And it's like, how do you balance that while still, I guess, 
um, yeah, pursuing something that you feel is what you want. Other examples of events we've run have been um, media representation of Asian people um, and also navigating emotional well-being for, as an Asian Australian. Um, and so in terms of how that started, it kind of happened quite organically. So I had a friend who reached out to me asking if he, he wanted me to co-facilitate like an event. And so this was the very first event that we held. Um, and then after running a few of those, we decided that, hey, actually, we are seeing sort of the same people come back. And so maybe it'll be a great idea for them to also connect asynchronously. And so that's why we decided to start like a Slack group where people are able to do that. And since then, it's been like the most, I think, wholesome, beautiful thing that I honestly didn't expect because now people are also organizing their own informal meetups, um, like posting in the Slack room being like, hey, does anyone want to grab dinner together? And like, just like, oh, there's an exhibition um, by Asian artists happening this weekend. Does anyone want to come watch? Or there's like an Asian Australian play happening. Let's go watch it together. Or let's check out this like food festival or whatever. And so people are just like making friends through this community, which I think is just so sweet to see, <laughs> to be like, wow, yeah, they're making friends. I don't know. I think it's very cute. So yeah, I don't um, run that community anymore. I sort of handed the reins over to other people because I realized I just have way too much on my plate. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that I'm really proud of to see that that it's that's blossoming. I was just about to ask, how did you manage to juggle between your full-time role, writing a play and now organizing event for for that community but you, you sort of touch on it you realize that you have too much on your plate and you learn to delegate your tasks to someone else instead absolutely and I think often I assume a lot of the people in B1 are probably also go-getters <laughs> like if you're joining a uni society that does a lot of stuff like that I feel like it can be very hard to say no to things in life and so I think yeah I think one thing I learned from uni is that there's so many things out there that you can do and often you want to do everything all at once but it's when you start saying no to things that allows you to say yes to things that matter to you more um so yeah I think saying no to actually stepping down to that was a very hard decision for me but I realized that there are other people there with more capacity who could probably give it a bit more love and attention and effort to actually get things going and so I was like okay, like maybe it is a good idea for me to hand the reins over to other volunteers who are able to dedicate time to this. And then I can dedicate the rest of my time to, I guess, other things in my life as well. Have you ever experienced burned out? And if you do, how did you overcome it? I know that it's hard for us when we were in uni to say no to experiences. So yeah. other than saying no, what else did you do to overcome that? Yeah, great question. Have I experienced burnout? Definitely. Um, I think that was probably just during uni where you're doing full-time uni, you also have a part-time job to commit to. And then on top of that, you have like a bunch of extracurricular stuff, like running a uni society or whatever. And yeah, it was just like a lot. Like you always feel like you never really have proper time just to chill out. You're always like running, racing to finish the next assignment or you have to, you know, work during the day so you don't have a lot of time to see your friends and stuff like that. And I think it comes to a point where you kind of just has to be, have to be realistic and just realize, actually, I just need to start saying no to things more. I need to actively cut out the things from my life that I feel like maybe I'm not getting as much value out of. Um, and so, yeah, I think it takes a bit of courage or 
introspection to sort of realize what those aspects of your life might be. So I think in terms of actually getting to the point of saying, you know, I'm realizing that stuff. One thing that I do do is I reflect every month. So I have like a a bit embarrassing, but I have like a running Google doc and I send myself like a monthly calendar invite, a recurring calendar invite. Um, I manage my whole life on Google calendar. So that's why I do that. Um, and basically every month at the end of every month, I would have like a monthly reflection template and it would have things like, um, you know, what are my thoughts on this month? What went well? What didn't go so well? Um, how did I keep up with my habits? This was back when I used to track my habits, things like, did I get eight hours sleep? Did I exercise at least a few times a week? Did I at least get 10 minutes of reading every week or something like that? Um, or did I eat healthily? Yeah, just like little things like that, I would track and just it forces myself to just reflect on that every month. And then other things could be like, oh, what did you, what did I learn this month? What gave me a lot of energy this month or what drained my energy this month? And I think from having that, like, you know, one hour of introspection, I kind of just got that clarity in my mind where I'm starting to see a pattern. I'm like, okay, I can see how this aspect of my life is really draining for me. And it's always something that I procrastinate a lot. And I realize it's because I just don't like doing it, (laughs) or it's just taking up way too much of my time. And so I guess going through those reflective processes, you start to know what the next steps should be, Um, whether it's, yeah, I should cut this out from my life, or I realize I'm not exercising enough. And yet I should really like start going to the gym or whatever yeah that's really useful I think a lot of us can implement that in our life too I am guilty of that doing too much and not having enough time for myself and realizing that I need breaks too absolutely absolutely I think people should reflect more because reflecting gives you that clarity of thought and I remember um whenever I I just start a job or an internship or whatever I also have a reflection exercise that I go through as well where I just like type out all my thoughts in on in a google doc and there will be like a rough structure to it so at the start of starting an internship um think about you know why did I decide to work here like what do I want to get out of it is it because I want to develop my industry knowledge is it because I want to develop my network is it because I want to um, I don't know what I want to do and maybe I want to test out what it's like working in this role as a product manager or as a software engineer or whatever it is um, so you kind of have like rough goals that you want to outline for yourself and then a secondary question would be what do I want to communicate to my manager in the first week so that they can help me with this stuff And then during the internship, so after like a month, I would then ask myself the reflective questions, what's going well, what's not going well, Um, have my goals changed or how am I tracking with my goals? And then at the end of the internship, you want to ask yourself things like, what went well, what didn't go so well, what did I learn in this job? And as well as what did I learn, it's also like, what did I learn about myself? So something you might've learned is actually I'd learned that I really hate talking to customers or something like that. Like it drains so much energy from me. And I, in my future job, I don't want to have to speak to customers a lot, something like that. And going through those reflective processes means that at the end of that internship or job, you'd be able to realize what you like, what you don't like, and that helps to inform what job you might want to pursue next. I think that's a good way to wrap up our episode. 
Wow, that was really insightful. And now I have a better understanding of the climate tech startup, the benefits of passion projects, as well as what a powerhouse you are, Izu. <laughs> Your <laughs> advice and experiences are really useful for students out there and yeah, thank you for taking your time and I appreciate you doing this for us and can't wait to see what's next for you. Thank you. No worries. Thank you so much, Lishi. It's been really wonderful to chat with you.